Well, welcome to the Coffee House Questions Podcast. This is Ryan Polly. And uh, as I've been doing this podcast, I've been looking for different ways to do it. I've had podcasts by myself, I've done interviews, and now I have for the chance for the first time of doing a conversation. And uh, so it's a little bit different, but joining me for the first one is my roommate, Neil Harden. Thank you, Neil, for coming on with me. Thank you. Uh, so why don't you tell uh, everybody about yourself just a little bit? I think you have a little bit of a unique story of how you got to the position you're at right now. Oh, well, I uh, have an engineering background. I did my undergraduate at the University of Utah in metallurgical engineering. Um, worked at a steel company for about four years and then felt God calling me to uh, get my MA in theology here at uh, Biola at Talbot. Awesome. Now, whenever I tell people you do metallurgical engineering, they, they go, oh, what? <laughs> what is that? Uh, simply, it is the study of metals. All righty. So you have a background in metals, mm -hmm. worked as an engineer, and now you're at Talbot. Yep. In your second semester? Yep. And uh, God has a crazy way of uh, bringing you to different places. <laughs> that is very true. So I'm excited uh, to be talking with Neil tonight. Uh, the reason why I asked him to come on and discuss this issue is tonight, uh, well, I guess it's night that we're recording this, but this will be posted uh, sometime on Friday. Uh, but we are going to be talking about the question, uh, is the United States uh, a secular culture? Do we live in a secular culture? And Neil has a little bit of a unique perspective. He's studying theology, but you're coming at it from more of a political position, right? Yeah, I'm trying to... Uh... Or at least it's just a passion of mine to find where does this Bible or where does the Bible speak on political issues and how do we find or how do we make those uh, how do we make the issues match what the Bible teaches, whether it's on ethics or even directly on a political issue or something like that. Yeah, and I think that's awesome um, because I think the more ways that we can come at approaching the topic of how do Christians live well in culture, mm -hmm. um, whether it's defending the existence of God, which is my focus, whether it's training up the church, which is our other roommate's focus, mm -hmm. and then also coming at from a political, public policy way, um, it's awesome, I think, how God just builds the body of Christ to approach these different topics. Yeah, and I'm starting to just develop more and more passion for just training up the church and thinking about political issues biblically, because especially at this last election, I just saw such a need in the church for how to think about these issues. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, no matter what side you're on, um, you know, we, we see at least that conflict, right? There might be people super excited about Trump, others that were excited, maybe they're not now. There's people in every area of the spectrum, and so just trying to figure out, like, okay, how do we approach this uh, thinking critically? And so, mm -hmm. yeah, that's huge. Um, so I just want to kind of, so as we kind of start, we're going to be talking about the question of, do we live in a secular culture? What does that even mean? And how can Christians respond uh, in, in the position that we're at today? Um, and I, but I also want to remind you that last week um, I talked about Christian ethics, kind of did the introduction to ethics, and I mentioned that... Uh, ethicist from Talbot, Scott, Dr. Scott Ray, uh, agreed to come on the show and do uh, an interview with me based on questions that you guys turn in. So I just want to remind you, if you have any questions on cultural ethical issues, send those in. You can send them to contact at coffeehousequestions.com, email them there, uh, the Facebook page at coffeehousequestions at Facebook, and then uh, the Google Voice text message number. You can text in your questions at 71998, sorry, 714 
27. So just reminding you of ways that you can connect. Um, so Neil, maybe I'll ask you to start off. Uh, do you think that we live in a secular culture? Uh, yeah, I think overall, uh, the country, or at least our particular country was founded on a Judeo-Christian worldview and ethic and, um, where we are today, we can definitely see it. It has degraded over time. Yeah. And I guess maybe it might be good to start too with kind of a, a definition of secular culture and what, what do we mean by a culture becoming more secular? Um, but I think you made the good point of, we started out kind of in that Judeo-Christian mindset where the church had authority. Mm-hmm. And so by secular culture, we're kind of talking about how um, that we're just, it's a society in which religious ideas, customs, and traditions kind of have less weight, mm-hmm. right? That when we go to make big decisions in life and with public policy, do we bring Christian values and ethics to the table? Or do we kind of check that our Christian faith at the door and make uh, more cultural just decisions without that influencing uh, our decision. So that's kind of what the definition of what we're kind of going from right now when it comes to uh, a secular culture. Um, but th- I mean, a lot of people attend church, mm-hmm. right? And so we, we kind of see this conflict of there's a lot of people going to church. Yeah. A lot of people who say they're Christians too. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you know the statistic, but last I heard somewhere like 70% Mm-hmm. Say that, you know, maybe they have some sort of belief in a God, mm-hmm. whatever that God is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a lot, a large percentage say Christian, but yet it seems like our society is becoming less Christian. Yeah. And I think a lot of people kind of equate being Christian with almost like being American. Like, yeah. Or I'm an American, therefore I'm a Christian. It's kind of similar, like over in other countries, maybe like India. It's like you're an Indian, you're a Hindu, or if you're in another Eastern country than maybe you're Buddhist or something like that. It just, it's more part of your culture than it is your personal identity. Yeah. And I, I hear that all the time with my students working at international school. It's like, Oh, I came to the United States. Everyone's Christian. It's like, mm-hmm. well, yeah, there's different views of Christianity. People will say it, people will live it in different ways, but Christian, you know, the United States is becoming a melting pot culture, but we still kind of have that perception of we are a Christian nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, from those looking kind of on, on the, from the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, but what are ways maybe that that we see culture becoming more secular? Uh, is there anything that maybe stands out to you? I mean, I think big ones for me, I, I think about the same-sex marriage that got passed a couple, a uh, year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just what we're seeing with the postmodern kind of influences with gender identity and transgender issues and and just the ways that we are, are talking on, co- on on college campuses where we're now claiming that there's no truth. Mm-hmm. Right? We're seeing these things come through in a lot of very different, unique ways. Yeah, and whether you're talking about abortion, gay marriage, uh, transgender issues, or whatever, whatever issue, we definitely see a progression towards being more secular where our, Christ- our Judeo-Christian ethics have, are, have been degraded and now have lost their social significance. Yeah. And, and I think that comes through when you, when we see, you know, as soon as you bring up Christianity, it's like, well, no, that's a religious issue, mm-hmm. right? I don't know if you've experienced that, but it's kind of this, oh no, that that's religion. You know, that's, that's just a religious viewpoint. Like if you talk on, on pro-life, mm-hmm. you know, that's just religious view. You, you can't, you can't talk about that. Yeah. Just keep that to yourself. Yeah. Keep that to yourself. Whereas, you know, no, it's like when we're making a case for life, we're making the case from science and philosophy, mm-hmm. defending that the unborn is a valuable human being that's distinct from the mother. 
It's like, no, this is, this is an argument. This isn't just religion. This is an argument based on science and philosophy. But that's kind of what we're seeing in culture. And, and so I think two influences that, that are coming through a lot is what we have plur, um, pluralism, right? So we're seeing this idea that all religions have equal value. Maybe someone could argue, maybe except for Christianity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it seems like we want to include all viewpoints uh, except one. Um, but we're seeing this idea of pluralism where, where all truth becomes relative, but now all religions now have equal value. All viewpoints have equal value. Yeah, and we see plural, plural, pluralism is a good thing when it comes to, like, uh, Robbie Zacharias likes to make the point of, like, pluralism and, like, the culinary arts. It's, like, a good thing. It's awesome that we have, we live in a culture where we can find any type of food that yeah. we want. But when pluralism leads to relativism where there is no truth and it's all religions are equal or say the same thing, that's when it becomes the issue. Yeah. And, and we see that a lot when, it, when we talk about tolerance, mm-hmm. right? If you uh, are going to tolerate someone, you have to agree with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I discussed this in a, in a podcast with Andy Bannister, right? Where it's, no, tolerance is reserved for disagreement. You can only tolerate someone when you disagree with them, right? But our culture has changed this idea mm-hmm. where, hey, everyone has kind of this equal truth value in their religious viewpoints, and in order to tolerate them means that we agree with everybody. And we agree that everyone has this equal truth value in their statements. Yeah, you tolerate everyone except those who are intolerant. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and those that are intolerant are the ones that are actually in disagreement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that those are kind of influences, I think. The big ones that we're seeing is this idea of religious viewpoints becoming equal within pluralism. And then postmodernism, where now that's leading to now the relativity of truth. And so now morality becomes an opinion. Now, this is maybe off point, but I was talking with my students this week and we, we were, talk, were talking about um, psychology and secular psychology, Christian psychology and different views. And so we were talking about postmodern psychology and postmodernism, you know, this idea that no objective truth exists. Everything is relative. So even when it comes to human nature, there's no objective human nature. And there's a quote, and I, and I don't remember exactly who said it, but they said, you know, the answer to the question, who am I? It doesn't only have one answer. And that we can have this idea of multiple selves. And I, and I kind of discussed this and played this out with my students, because if someone were to have multiple personalities or say that they have multiple selves, we would see that as maybe a disorder. We would see mm-hmm. that as, okay, maybe we need to find, you know, some help for this person. We need to get them counseling. But I, I asked, I said, we know that sounds weird now, but I might make a prediction that in the future, this is something that might become more normalized mm-hmm. because I think, you know, 10 years ago, we would have seen something like same sex marriage as being more not normal. And now it's become very normalized mm-hmm. now with the gender identity issues becoming very normalized. There are stories popping up on the internet now of um, humans identifying as animals as dogs. Uh, there's a story where a 60 year old, I believe 57 or 67 year old man now is identifying as a six year old girl. Um, and these things are starting to become normalized where now it's not only now same sex relationships mm-hmm. is becoming now promoted in culture, but then now it is gender. Now it's changing genders, then changing ages and now changing species. And mm-hmm. so I said, you know, what would keep us then from just going into changing selves and 
hey, I committed a crime, but when I get arrested, I identify as a different person. Do you, I mean, am I stretching it here? Do you think maybe, would that seem to logically follow? I mean, we, we see within culture, I mean, even like 40, 50 years ago, homosexuality was a diagnosable disorder in the, I think it's called the DSM, where it's like the, the manual that psychologists use for um, diagnosing different disorders. And homosexuality is listed as one of those, but they took it out. Mm-hmm. Um, There's cultural pressure. There's just a lack of understanding of what ethics is and what healthy sexuality is. Yeah. Well, it's in that cultural pressure is huge because I just last week or two weeks ago, I saw a, a statement from the president of the Boy Scouts, which now the Boy Scouts are allowing uh, biological girls who identify as male. And rather than checking birth certificates, they're now checking application. So if you marked and identify as a as a boy on the application, then you are entered into the Boy Scouts. Yeah, and it wasn't too long ago where they now can have gay scout leaders and um, boys who openly identify as homosexual. Yeah, and so we definitely are seeing this idea of this postmodernism in our culture, where truth becomes relative, human nature becomes relative. We can start identifying however we want. We, we, we hear people. I just went on a hike uh, with my other roommates uh, a couple weeks ago, and and we we're standing on top looking over LA and I overheard someone's con- uh, conversation where they asked um, the person who had a dog and they said, Oh, is that a male or, you know, or a female dog? And they said, Oh, it's a male. And then someone goes, but gender is just a social construction. <laughs> right. And, and I thought, yeah, man, even, even talking about dogs, we, we want to say that gender is just a social construction, that there's no objective gender that is attached to the biological DNA mm-hmm. and anatomy of an animal or human. And it's amazing how our culture is moving that direction. And so I wonder if we'll ever get to that place where we finally kind of our eyes are opened. And what I told my students, I said, if we continue down this path, I I, I would predict that at some point people are going to start identifying as, as different selves to try to get out of crimes or something. And I said, and I wonder if that's the point when we're finally going to realize, oh, this isn't work. When someone says, no, I didn't commit that crime. It was a previous self or something. I may be way off. Yeah, you, you can only hope we'll get to a certain point where people yeah. will finally wake up, but you never know. Yeah. Anyways, so, I mean, this is the kind of the culture that we're living in. And this is why we, we want to think through this and figure out kind of, where is culture at, right? We first have to figure out where we're at and then we can try and figure out, okay, how do we solve this problem, right? And if we, and if we don't know what's causing the problem, then we don't know how to solve it. And so I think that when we can identify key issues or key points where a lot of the, I think the issues in culture come from relativism, come from this postmodern mindset where there is no objective truth. I wrote about this uh, right after um, President Trump, I believe it was right after his election where, you know, people want to say there is no truth. All morality is relative, but then they want to say that Trump is this, 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 and this, and he's racist. And he's these things that all of a sudden are objectively wrong and he should not be. And, you know, not saying Trump doesn't do this, but he could, if he came out and identified as a racist, we would say that's not okay. Now they might try to make some arguments for it, but it's interesting that we live in a culture that wants to hold to relativism but then yet claims a moral standard over someone when they seem to break their idea. Yeah, it's I, I'd i be interested in doing a survey on all the protesters who were out 
near the White House during his inauguration or on, on the streets around the country protesting his uh, inauguration and survey how many of you actually believe in absolute truth. Yeah. And then if they answered no, then I kind of asked them, well, why are you here then? Aren't you condemning Trump based on some sort of absolute moral standard that you find to be objectionable? Yeah. And I don't know how they how they answer that. Yeah, I don't either. And I think, you know, in order to answer it, you need that objective standard, mm-hmm. right? You have to say, yes, it, you know, racism is wrong. This person, you know, is a racist or whatever. We think they are. And so therefore what they're doing is wrong. Mm-hmm. That only makes sense to that standard. Okay, so I, I think we've kind of identified some problems, maybe. We kind of pointed out some key issues. Um, and so now I kind of want to respond like, okay, what is the Christian role in this? And then maybe the Christian response. Um, and one thing that kind of has come to mind, and one thing that I studied in one of my classes is this idea of the privatization of faith. And what that means is that the Christian faith for Christians has become very private. It is something that we do within the walls of our church. It's something that we do in our private life. But as Christians, we don't get out into culture and vocalize maybe our opinions as we should. I've been to a lot of churches where they say, hey, now go out, go into culture, make a difference. But I wonder, you know, how many Christians are actually doing that? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's become a very private thing. And one thing my professor mentioned is, is if you ask someone, how is your spiritual life? They're most likely going to respond by talking about their prayer life, their devotional life, or things that are happening at their church. Whereas if our spiritual, our spiritual life should be actively involved and engaged and play a role in our every single day life. And, and our professor mentioned, you know, it might sound weird, but what if someone asked you, how's your spiritual life? And you started saying, well, work is really good. You know, I had a great day at work, you know, talking with my coworkers. But I think that that, that is Christianity, that our spiritual life is influencing and, and a part of everything and of who we are. It's not just this private thing that we do by ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that kind of ties in with even just what I was teaching today. A lot of this comes back to what I'm teaching with my students right now is that the Christian psychology is different because it includes the physical, the mental, and the spiritual. Right? So we talk about secularism it is materialism, right? Materialism, it believes that only that physical world exists and there is no spiritual part of it and even some would say then the mental isn't even there too because we're just chemical reactions and so we don't have that free will and consciousness in order to make those mental decisions and so it disregards kind of two parts that we see as key but when we recognize that the human person is a physical mental and spiritual being the spiritual is a huge part of that that goes into every single area of our lives Mm -hmm. and i don't think that we see that as much as maybe we should And one reason maybe I think that too is that I see Christians now as our culture is in the place where it's at saying, oh my goodness, how did we get here? And it's like, well, maybe because we've been very quiet about these issues for the last 10 years Mm -hmm. and we don't talk about this. And then all of a sudden some quick change happens in culture and we go, how did this happen? Yeah, I think people for a long time took it for granted that Christianity sort of was the predominant worldview in our culture. Um, But when forces, um, especially in the uh, 60s, started to um, challenge those assumptions that we all just, or that people just held or took for granted, and people didn't have good answers at that time, then the kind of 
got the ball rolling and transforming our culture to be more secular because people didn't couldn't give good answers. They didn't yeah. have a good apologetic for it. And that's, I mean, and I think you just made a great point there. That's why I see such a huge need for apologetics. Mm-hmm. And even has students talk to me and how their confidence has grown to now have conversations because they feel like they can, they're not scared, right? If we don't have good answers, as soon as someone raises objection, we, we panic or we get quiet or we never even go out and talk to anyone because we're afraid. What if they ask something I don't know? And so just having simple responses, you know, the tactics from, from Greg Kokel that I talk about all the time, just what do you mean by this? How did you come to that conclusion? Have you ever considered and if you say, hey, how did you come to that conclusion? And they present evidence you've never heard. You go, wow, that's really good. I've never heard about that. Let me let me think through that. And you and that's how you have that conversation. We don't have to be scared of, I have to have every single answer right now. And this even just played out recently. I had someone uh, give me what they said was proof of Darwinian evolution, that we have now seen evidence of macro evolution changing from a species to another and the the evidence they gave me was a certain uh bug that turns into a plant now i've never heard about this so i can't say no you're wrong because i i've never heard this before and so i said wow that's very interesting can you tell me more about that and they told me a little bit and i said well so how does it work and i just asked questions and finally, they, they kind of reached their limit of what they knew about this. And I said, okay, well, I'd, I'd love to read more about it. Do you have an article that you could send me? And, and I'd love to check it out. And so they sent me an article. I read through it. Next time I saw them, I said, hey, I read that article. It was awesome. And they said, well, what did you think? Do you think it's evidence for evolution? I said, well, I don't know. The article you sent me seemed to make these cases. And we were able to have a really good conversation. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, having responses is good to be ready. But also knowing how to ask questions can allow Christians to get out there and engage culture in a way that we don't have to be afraid. Yeah, and I think uh, Christians need to realize that even though a lot of the secular culture will screen their answers a lot, a lot louder and longer until they become the truth, they're just on, they're on far shakier ground than we are because the evidence is on our side. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the sad thing is I think that some, a lot of times the louder person wins mm-hmm. or at least the louder person gets noticed. Yeah. Um, and so maybe, you know, but that, I, I, that shouldn't discourage us or maybe, maybe discourage isn't the right word, but that shouldn't uh, make us stop mm-hmm. because I think that there will come a time where I think, that, I think that we will get a pendulum swing back to some rationale. I think that we can only take this relativistic culture so far. There's something is going to happen. I think that's going to click and bring us back at least into some more a place of reason. Yeah, I certainly hope so. Otherwise, we'll continue to become more secular and be more like Europe, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it's interesting kind of going back now to um, what we talked about of this foundation of this moral law. Um, We have different kind of ethical systems and in types of reasoning that that are used within ethics. And there is, um, you know, ethics based on natural law. And that's kind of where the Constitution, right? That, that even our founding fathers referred to this natural law that should be self-evident. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are endowed by our Creator with inalienable rights, among which are life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. I mean, that's they are endowed by our Creator. That's natural law or 
founders were heavily influenced by the work of John Locke and uh, other uh, English Enlightenment writers that spoke a lot about that. Yeah. And, and I think it's that is important, too, because when rights come from a government, they can be taken away just mm-hmm. as quickly as they can be given. Yeah, I think Abraham Lincoln said something like that. The government that has the power to give you everything also has the power to take it away. Yeah. In essence, I'm paraphrasing that. Yeah. Yeah. And and I and what's interesting, and maybe you see the same thing, is when is people in our culture, uh, they seem to be appealing to rights uh, that are above the government, right? Because they demand that the government gives them these rights. Mm-hmm. You know, these are my rights. I deserve this right. Now, the government, you need to recognize it and give it to me. And my question always comes in is, where did you get this idea that there are rights above the government? You know, these human rights, so to speak, uh, if the government is the highest level of authority that gives and takes away. Yeah, it's like what's inherent to human nature that where these rights just magically come from. Yeah. And so there seems to, you know, our culture, it's we... we we are appealing to higher morality in order to say someone is evil. We're appealing to higher rights in order to claim that the government needs to recognize these things. And our, even in our constitution says that these rights are given by our creator, that, that we recognize these. Yet at the same time, our culture wants to dismiss them and say, oh, all truth is relative. Let's all just get along or maybe not all get along, but we're, everyone's right in their belief. Mm-hmm. So in the last kind of five minutes that we have, um, I want to talk about that Christian response. And we've already been discussing that a little bit, right? But we have this idea, I think, that sometimes Christians can become discouraged of, man, our culture is going downhill so fast. You know, it's like plugging one hole in a boat when there's, you know, 15 different leaks coming in and we don't have enough fingers to plug the holes. Mm-hmm. And so why try? Let's just focus on heaven. Let's just give up on culture. Do you think, do you think that that's a good response? No, because, I mean, we don't know when Christ is going to be coming a second time. We don't know when the end times are going to happen. I mean, so I think if we can make this world a more suitable place where we're saving lives in a lot of cases, like if we're talking about abortion or if we're um, having having people or encouraging people to live lives that are healthier and better for them, then that's something we should be fighting for because human life has inherent worth and value. That's something that... Christianity teaches us. So if we really believe that, then we should want to infuse those values into our culture. So that way those values are um, held up to a high standard. Yeah. And that's, and that's the idea of being called to be faithful to what God calls us to do. You know, a lot of times we, we think of, you know, it's, you know, God calls us to be successful Mm -hmm. and, and, and if we feel like we're not succeeding in making a difference then we give up. And I don't think that scripture tells us that we have to be successful or even that we're going to be successful necessarily in, I mean, that could have a very broad definition of what Mm -hmm. we mean by success. And we just had this conversation the other night of what do we mean by success, right? Um, But this idea of God calls us to be faithful Mm -hmm. and that we are called to have a high regard for human life, for for dignity, sanctity of life, for human morality, human rights, for just the value of God's creation. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we are called to come alongside people, make a difference, and not that we're going to be extremely successful, but we have to be faithful and trust God that he works through that. Yeah, and I think 
secularization isn't a process that has just happened overnight where it's just all of a sudden we wake up and the culture's more, more secular. It's been happening over decades and even centuries where the culture has become more secular. And so we can't expect that if we're going to start working our way back to that Judeo-Christian ethic, that it's going to happen overnight. So we as Christians need to first set proper expectations and realize that ultimately our hope lies in God, not in our efforts, yeah. um, but also just not not to use that as an excuse to not put forth any effort at all. Yeah. Yeah. And just to finish this off, just realizing that the cultural change is not up to us, that... Um, we are called to be faithful, to stand up for righteousness, allow God to shape and change our culture as he sees fit, and that we are just faithfully present through that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biblical view of how do we stand up to what we see as injustice and these things happening in our culture. And that is just to be faithfully present to do what we can and allow God just to work and move. Yeah, and in whatever capacity that may mean for your life, whether you're a, an engineer, whether you're a school teacher, or whatever, whether, even if you're a student, I mean, you all, every person has a sphere of influence of yeah. people that they come into contact with regularly, um, even yeah. with their family. So be faithful with what God has given you. Absolutely. Well, we'll leave it there. Neil, thank you so much for taking this time and talking with me. No problem. I enjoyed it. Maybe we'll do it again sometime. Sure. All right. And for the rest of you, thank you so much for listening to another week of Coffee House Questions. I want to remind you to send in those questions on ethical issues for my interview with Dr. Scott Ray. I have some other awesome interviews coming up that I'll be telling you about in the future. Thank you so much for listening to Coffee House Questions. This is Ryan Polly. Have a blessed week. Won't hesitate to follow Your love will guide my